where we will start this morning. We're springboarding off of the movie Courageous during the month of October to uh, see some lessons that the Bible teaches us about some of the themes, uh, some of the ideas and thoughts presented and the challenges raised in the movie Courageous. I hope you've been able to see the movie. If not, I think it's going to be in theaters at least another week in our area here. So I do highly recommend you go see the movie. But if you haven't seen it, you don't have to cover your ears because I won't ruin it for you uh, in the course of the morning. And you don't have to have seen the movie uh, to know what we're talking about today as well. So, So don't worry about that. But as I was praying through uh, this month and these topics and these themes, kind of just asking the Lord what to share, he he led me to, I kind of discovered a subplot in the Old Testament that I hadn't seen and kind of connected the dots before. And I I thought it was really neat how some of the things from the movie really fit in with this subplot, what's taking place uh, in this passage of Scripture. And so we're going to look at this both this week and then uh, next week as well, uh, how it fleshes itself out in the lives of uh, some men in the Old Testament and their faithfulness or lack of faithfulness to God uh, in, as it relates to this particular area. Well, the movie Courageous revolves around the lives of police officers. Uh, they serve our community well. We appreciate uh, their efforts. And one thing that we commonly understand about police officers is that they, they watch out for each other. They, they, they watch each other's backs. At least that's what the TV shows and the movies say that they, they watch out for each other. One of the characters in this movie actually at a point uh, as he has some backup, some fellow police officers come and give some assistance that, that is very needed at a certain point in the movie, utters this statement and he says, thank God for backup. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a great thought. And as I began to think about that idea and just realizing how important it is that we as Christians have backup. That we have people who come alongside us in our times of need for support uh, and encouragement and to help lift us up and pick us up and just be God's hands and feet in our times of need. And as I thought about that, you know, it really boils down for us as believers is to having other believers in our lives and having enough of a relationship with them that they will come alongside and minister and care uh, and help us in our times of need. And so having relationships with other believers ultimately boils down to the importance and the value we place on being in church enough to be able to build relationships with other believers. Like if you show up at church and like you get a visitor welcome packet and people are always like reintroducing themselves and thanking you for coming and attending here, you may want to think about your regularity in church, all right? They've identified you as a visitor because maybe you're not here enough to build relationships and be able to experience that level of backup and people, you know, providing support and encouragement uh, and in care and care for you in times of need. But here's the thing. Not everybody experiences the benefits of of Christian backup and and being invested in relationships with one another because the truth is not everyone understands uh, and sees the value or the importance of church in general, let alone, you know, building relationships inside the church. And people give all kinds of reasons as to why they don't come to church, don't they? You know, we got this long, you know, list of stuff that you hear from people. And honestly, I think if we're we're truthful about it, most of those are just excuses. People are looking for an excuse, so they give an excuse. And really, I mean, the excuses aren't, you know, valid if you think about them in context of other things. Let me demonstrate. If you apply the logic that people give for not attending church to another area of life, just listen to what happens. Here's my list of reasons why I don't bathe. I was forced to bathe as a child, so I just, I refused to go. 
people who make soap are only after your money. I bathe on special occasions like Easter and Christmas. Everybody knows that people who bathe are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everyone else. There are a lot of different kinds of soap, and I just can't decide which one is best. So I just, I just don't bathe. I used to bathe, but it got boring, so I stopped. None of my friends bathe. The bathroom is never warm enough in the winter or cool enough in the summer. So I just, I just don't bathe. I'll start bathing when I get older and dirtier. I can't spare the time to bathe. So, I mean, you see, it doesn't hold water, does it, to, to apply that logic of people not being in church uh, to some other areas. But here's the thing. Everyone needs backup. We, we need other people in our lives, and there's no better place to find and experience backup than Christian relationships that are built as you walk through life with other believers. That's one of our four core values here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church that we expect and we hold and, and we desire for every member of our church is that they would walk in relationship, in community, in fellowship with other believers. We think it is such an important thing that we encourage and desire every member of our church and we do everything we can to provide opportunities for every person to walk in relationship and community with other believers. So this morning, let's look at a period in the life of one of the greatest men in the entire Bible, Moses, and see a time when God showed him the importance of backup, of having other people involved and invested and in his life. And honestly, when you think about all the people in the Bible who may not need backup or help from anybody else, I kind of vote for Moses, all right? I mean, here's a guy who started and stopped the plagues in Egypt, all right? I mean, that's a pretty uh, significant role and task that he had to be able to start and stop the plagues. He saw God part the Red Sea when he held his hands and lifted the staff. The Red Sea parted and the entire nation of Israel crossed through on dry land and then the Red Sea closed and swallowed up the Egyptian army. Then they got hungry wandering around in the wilderness and so they started whining and belly aching about not having any food to eat. So God caused manna to fall from heaven every night. I think that was uh, uh, the Old Testament version of Pop-Tart. You know, you woke up and they were, they were there and they were stale the next day. You know, it wasn't good. So it's like, you know, the Old Testament version of Pop-Tarts. And they said, we don't like manna. This bread's getting old. And so God called quail and their bird brains to fly into camp at night. So they had manna and they had quail to eat. And then they said, well, we don't have anything to wash it down with. You know, it's so bad. We want to go back to Egypt. At least they had drinking water. And so Moses struck a rock and the, the water flowed from the rock. Moses saw all of these things. Moses, the Bible says, spoke to God as man speaks to man face to face. You may not know this about Moses. Moses had to wear a veil for a certain season of his life. You know, I had to wear a veil because as he would go up, oh, here's another thing about Moses. Moses received the 10 commandments from God himself twice. He got mad and broke the first set. So he had to go back and get them a second time. He got them from God twice. But as he spoke with God, Moses would come off of the mountain and his meetings with God. And the Bible says his face would glow. And it intimidated people. It made them nervous that, that Moses was so close to God, had been so close to God that his face would glow that Moses wore a veil 
to not intimidate and make people nervous. Of all the people in the Bible who you would have think maybe didn't need backup and other people, I kind of vote for Moses. Yet we come to this situation, this little, this season, this period in his life, and we see that even Moses needed other people. We need other people as well. Let's look at Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8. Then Amalek, who's a king but also a representative of a nation and a group of people, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Now, I want you to pay close attention to these next two verses. File these away because we're going to reference them this week. We're going to pick them back up next week. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will, this is God's command and his instruction about Amalek and these people, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. God says, I am going to destroy this people. We'll pick that up next week. But the only memory of them is going to be that they were written in a book that we remember their story. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Well, what's the banner thing here? Well, going into battle, people carried a banner. They carried a flag that represented who they were as a people group, as a nation, who they were there fighting for as their representative. And so Moses built an altar and says, the Lord is our banner. If anybody wants to know what flag we're flying, who we're waving, say, who are we? How are we identified? The Lord is who we are identified with. The Lord is my banner, uh, is what the altar was named there to remember. God's victory. Verse 16, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord, meaning someone struck out against. They came to uh, antagonistically attack and come against the Lord's throne. And this is the last sentence here. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Remember those things, a blot out and this war that's promised from generation to generation. We'll pick that part up next week. But, but this encounter is pretty simple. I mean, you read this, it, it's very easy to understand. Moses tells Joshua, go and find men to go into battle for us. And we look at that and we go, yeah, Moses told Joshua, go find our Green Beret, our special ops, special forces type, get our best military personnel, send them to the field tomorrow. That's wrong. Where have the Israelites been? In slavery in Egypt. 
When you're a slave, you don't have an army. You're not trained and you're not skilled in battle techniques. They, are in, they have just left Egypt, got through the Red Sea, are in the wilderness. They're still basically trying to find their way, figure out where they're going and what they're going to do. They're scattered. They're, they're, they're weak. They're unorganized. That's why the, the Amalekites were attacking in the first place, right? Because they thought this is the time because they, they're, they're unorganized. They're weak. They're defenseless. They didn't have an army. They weren't trained in battle. So Moses' instruction to Joshua, Joshua, it says, go find men. That was his instruction. Don't worry about finding the best. Just find a man. Anybody who looks like he could be a soldier and may intimidate somebody. If he's big enough to pick up and maybe swing a sword and something good will happen, we need him tomorrow, okay? Because there's going to be this battle and, and, and we are, we're helpless. We're, we're hopeless in this situation. And so he tells them to go and find anyone who can go to the battlefield the next day. They were all unskilled, untrained. This was going to be a massacre, not in their favor because of how weak and defenseless and powerless they are. But here's the truth that we're reminded of in this situation. We are dependent upon God. We are dependent upon God. You see, the beauty of this Israelite victory the next day is that it built their confidence and their faith in God because they knew the odds were stacked against them. There was no way they were going to go into this battle and win. But that night as they came back from the battle and they're going through the plunder and they're talking about the events that transpired that day, their confidence in God had grown exponentially. Because they knew that God is the one who had given them that victory. And they said, you know what? If God can do that today, then I'm going to trust him tomorrow. When he calls us to go to battle tomorrow and he says we need to go do something tomorrow, I'm going because of what God just did today. It was all him, not me, not us at all. It was all God. And their faith and their dependence grew and increased tremendously. And here's how it shook out. When Moses held his staff over his head, and we're not sure if he just held it in one hand over his head or if he held it up with both and it was, you know, sideways. But when he held it up over his head, the Israelites would win the battle. And when he would lower it, they would begin losing the battle. Now, it's not clear whether or not God told Moses this was the key to victory or if Moses had to figure it out on his own. And if he had to figure it out, I wonder how many times it took to do that. You know, I can see them getting on the battlefield, and if he didn't know, then they begin losing the battle. And Moses is like, God, what are you doing? You brought us out of Egypt. You've done all these sort of things, and now we're here. We're going to get killed by these pagan nomads in this battle. Why have you brought us out here to abandon us? And then Aaron and her say, look, Moses, we're beginning to win. And he goes, God, thank you so much. We're winning the battle. I knew you could do it. You're an awesome God. We're going to serve you forever. And he goes, yes, amen. You guys told me they were winning. Look at that. God, what are you doing again? And so, I mean, how many times is this whole thing? And then does Moses start going, wait a minute. Hey, what's this do? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how that shook out. But it, it, do you think he messed with some people down there? Oh, there's Mr. Yoder. You know, he was whining and fussing last week about no food, no meat, no water. You know, watch this, Mr. Yoder. Oh, oh, you better watch it, big boy. Don't forget he's got the rod. That's why Moses' name is in the Bible, not Curtis's name back there. That's too great a temptation. 
But finally, Moses' arms got so tired. And I don't know if you've ever worked out, lifted weights. Uh, here, go home today and hold your arms over your head like this for 10 minutes, all right? It's not pleasant, all right, to do it. But his arms finally got so tired that he couldn't stand it any longer. Uh, he just, I, guys, I, I'm done. I, I just can't do anything any longer. So they pull a big stone up for him that he can basically kind of sit, can rest back on. He puts his arms out. They stand probably with their hands cupped like this to hold his elbows up so that Moses' hands stay above his head, and they win the victory. And so it was a great victory for them. But we see from this situation a couple of different things. First of all, we see Moses' weakness. You see, Moses was merely a human being who was dependent upon God like every other human being who's ever walked the face of the planet. We need God to give us life in the beginning. He creates life. We need God to sustain our life. And we need God to help us through the battles. Not like the battlefield battles, but the obstacles and the hurdles that we overcome as we live life. We need God. And we see this in Moses' life. as such a great man of faith, yet he needed God's strength and God's power. Secondly, we recognize this. Weakness humbles us. And moves us into greater dependence upon others and God. Moses' faith and confidence in God, I'm sure, had grown exponentially since his first encounter in the desert. Do you remember when God encountered Moses in the desert? He met the burning bush and God said, Moses, I want you to go and deliver the people. Do you remember Moses' response? He basically said, Lord, here am I, send Aaron. You remember that? I, I can't do that. I can't talk. I can't do this. You know, my brother Aaron, he'll be great. Why don't you send him instead of me? God said, no, I want you to go. And then Moses saw all those things that I've talked about before. I, mean, he's, I, I just imagine there's got to be a, a great confidence in what God's able to do. And then all of a sudden, that comes to a grinding halt. And Moses is like, I'm done. I'm finished. I can't go any further. And what is it that stops him? What is it that, that, that breaks him and brings him to his knees in utter recognition that he can't do it? It's got to be God working in him. What is it? It's not demonic oppression. It's not, you know, lightning storms from heaven. It's not high winds. It's not boulders rolling off a side of a mountain trying to squash him like a bug. It's not pestilence. It's not plagues. His arms get tired. Lord, I can't do it anymore. My arms hurt. You big wimp. What? You've seen all of this stuff and you can't hold your arms up any longer? I mean, are your kids want you to tell them stories at bedtime. Dad, tell us stories. We'll, we'll do Bible stories. What stories do they want? We want Joan in the whale where he gets in the whale and he gets vomited up on the beach. And that's a cool one. Bleah, you know, whale vomit coming out there. We want to hear about David and Goliath. Tell us about the big monster and how the little boy with the slingshot killed him. Tell us about Daniel and the lion's den. Tell us about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fire. How many of you as parents have ever had your kids say, tell us a story about when Moses' arms got tired? Where's the, the power and the energy in that? It, it's just not there. The simplest thing. His arms were tired. Lord, I can't go any further. But isn't that so like God? He uses the simplest things to humble us and cause us to rely on him. The simplest things. Yeah, we, we trust God when we're in these massive, you know, storms of life and we realize that, man, I don't have any influence. I don't have any control. I can't do anything about this situation. God, I need you. But it's so often in those day-to-day -day common routine activities and moments of life that we don't think about God. 
We don't pray and ask God to give us an awareness of the opportunities we have for him. God, I've got this one. I'm okay. I can handle it. And oftentimes, is it not in those moments, sometimes our, our, our worst failures before God, our, our worst missed opportunities before God and following faithfully in, in his priorities and what he's called us to do? I mean, just think about how, how our lives would change if day in and day out we, we did what Paul talked about and we prayed without ceasing and said, Lord, today in the staff meeting, help me not hurt anybody. Help me be a good witness and keep my tongue in check and be a godly example in this environment that's not very godly sometimes. Lord, help me be a light and a witness to my coworkers and, 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 and be sensitive if I hear something that's going on to, to make it an opportunity to say, hey, can I pray for you? And I pray for them right there. Lord, when I go to the kids' soccer game, don't, don't help me just think, okay, you know, I got to go, I got to do this, I got to sit and endure the game, pick them up and get out of there. Lord, this is an opportunity for me to build relationships and, and maybe plant seeds of the gospel and, and share Christ with others. You know, just think about those day in, day out opportunities that we have uh, to be a light and a witness, an example for Christ that we so often don't take advantage of. It's those moments when we need to remember that we are still in that time dependent upon God and that God has a purpose. God has a plan and a mission for us in those moments to walk with him at all times. Moses' weakness humbled him, and it reminded him of his need for God. Finally, Moses had to depend upon others, which is, reminds us that we need other people. You know, I don't know that it was probably Moses' preference that Aaron and her would have to come alongside and help hold his arms up. Again, that, that's not a very manly thing that Mary could say, yeah, would you come? I'm, you know, to, I, I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling tired here. Probably wasn't his preference. But the bottom line is this, when you're in need, you need to let others obey God by ministering to and serving you. I want you to think about that statement, what I just said. You need to let others obey God by ministering to and serving you in your times of need. Now, I said obey God. Here's the thing. God will move people's hearts. He will speak to people, and God will send them to come and minister to you. But if in your pride, you refuse it, no, I'm good, I'm fine, I, 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 you know, I don't want to receive that, they are missing an opportunity for a blessing from God because you're rejecting the help that God has sent to you. And so provide them, allow them the opportunity as God has moved in their heart to serve and minister to you. And here's how it works. As you're through that situation and God works in your life and you're able to say, man, look what God has done here. When that time comes in your life, when you're in need and you need help, or no, when others are in need and they need help, you can then go and serve them. They minister to you in your time of need and you in turn are to go and minister to them in their time of need. That's how God designed it. That's how simply it works, that we allow others as God leads and moves them to be able to come and to serve. And then we in turn serve as God lays on our hearts. And I wonder if Moses struggled a little bit with this issue uh, in his life. Because in chapter 18, he gets a message from God through his father-in-law Jethro about what I, it's kind of a similar issue. It kind of follows this same vein here. And, you know, isn't that the worst kind of correction when your in-laws are right? You're like, oh, man, yeah, okay, I got to listen to that, okay. Uh, but, but here's what was going on. Joe's in-laws are in, so that was not any kind of intent or slight over there. Sorry about that. I just, I just thought about that. Um, it's one of those preacher moments that just went awry. I should stick to the manuscript. Um, but, but here's what was going on. 
Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to visit and he observes the situation. The people would have complaints, they would have disagreements, they would have questions and issues, and they would bring them to Moses. There are a lot of people. Some scholars estimate that there were as many as three to four million Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. So they would bring all these things to Moses. Moses would hear their case. And if it was a decision between people, he would make a ruling, this is right, this is wrong. He would teach them God's word says this, this is what God desires of us. He would teach them how to apply God's words and God's standards, and he would make decisions in all of these issues. Well, because there were so many people, they waited a long, long time to hear their case or their issue heard before Moses, before he could make a decision. So his father-in-law comes and he watches what's taking place. And he says, "Mm," as God moved in his heart, he comes to Moses in chapter 18, verse 17. He said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. So as God moved in his life, uh, Jethro spoke into it, and he basically kind of a gentle rebuke. He called Moses out for having an ineffective leadership method or model. He said, Moses, this isn't going to work. It's too much for you. The people aren't going to be satisfied with it. There's going to be growing frustration, and it's really going to get bad. So listen to this word that God has put on my heart and what I encourage you to do. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to leave it up to you to obey and do what you want to with it. But he begins telling him here in verse 19. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So he had a teaching and educating a training role as the leader of all of these people. Teach them what God wants. Tell them how to walk. Tell them what they must do. You teach and you train them. Moreover, verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. So in short, he says, you select qualified, godly men. The men were selected not just because they volunteered and said, hey, I'll do that, but because of characteristics and traits and qualities in their life. Moses said uh, that they needed to be men uh, who were able men, who fear, able meaning capable of doing what they needed to do in their specific areas, able men uh, who feared God, who were trustworthy and hated a bribe. They weren't in it for for gain and that their character was such that they would refuse a bribe. They couldn't have their opinion bought, so to speak. So there were characteristics and traits given to them. And then Jethro said, you give these men authority and you let them decide things over groups of 10. The next guy will decide over five groups of 10, 50. The next guy over 100, then over thousands. And if there's a case that works its way up through the system that no one feels comfortable, that they don't have the authority to be able to decide, they can bring it to you. You will bring bring it before God, you will make a decision interpretation based upon what God leads you, and that will train and educate the people as to how they should walk and what they must do before God. It's a principle uh, of Moses having to trust other people, but the principle is plurality in leadership. 
We see it here early in the wilderness wanderings that at the very beginning, uh, God establishes plural leaders with authority to be able to make decisions, to guide and to help the people. But it's reiterated, this same concept is reiterated in Numbers chapter 11 at the end of Moses' ministry. Moses is about to go his way and to go be with the Lord and experience uh, his, his reward uh, in faith in God. And God tells him to find 70 elders from the community upon whom God will place his Holy Spirit to guide and lead them and help them lead the nation of Israel for the decades and the centuries and the millennia to come. And so we see this fleshed out of plurality in leadership. It's biblical, it's healthy, and it's effective. Jethro's promise to God, look in verse 21, was if you do this, God will direct you. And isn't that a great promise? God will direct you. You will be able to endure. Got some longevity. He'll be able to to handle those things. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. There will be unity. There will be harmony. Because people are leading. People are serving. They're making these decisions under the leadership of God. And you'll be able to do what God has called you to do. I mean, it's a great promise. And we see it start here in the wilderness wanderings. And as how God sets this up, this plurality of leadership. And it carries all the way through all of Scripture. Even into the New, New Testament when Jesus arrives. Uh, and they begin uh, the church after the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. You know, church, this is something that we should regularly pray for our church here at Mount Pleasant. That God would give us godly, healthy, that is, that is spiritually healthy, but also uh, healthy in the areas of leadership and the tasks that are set before them, effective leaders. We should regularly pray for God to give us godly, healthy, and effective leaders. You know, our theme uh, from the movie we're talking about is thank God for backup. So as, I, as we come to kind of think about some of these things this morning, I want to ask you, are you part of a Sunday school class or a small group that loves and cares uh, and lifts up one another's arms when times are tough? That's what Sunday school, that's what small groups are designed for, to go deeper in those relationships, to provide ministry and care in our times of need. You know, it's not easy being in those groups and being vulnerable, letting people know that you got issues, you don't have it all together, that you need help sometimes. But it's an important thing for us in Scripture. It's biblical, it's healthy, and it's right in God's eyes for us to be in those kind of relationships. So if you don't have a Sunday school class, then find one. Get plugged in. There's information at our Welcome Center to help you find a class that will help you know, meet your needs and help you build those relationships and experience that community that's so important for every believer. And if we don't have a class that, that kind of fits and scratches where you itch, then start one. We've got a new class starting the end of this month. You see a note about it in your bulletin this morning, the journey class uh, that's going to begin on October 30th. Uh, we're, we're looking for people, for God to raise up more godly, capable, qualified leaders to help us continue to develop classes so that all of our people, all of our membership can be connected in community, building relationships for care uh, and, and for ministering to one another. And I'm going to ask if you just give me just a couple more minutes, first of all, but also a little leeway to be a little bit self-serving this morning. I want to ask a special favor of you. We have a wonderful pastoral and admin staff here at Mount Pleasant. 
They do a tremendous amount of work and ministry, so much effort that, that you would never even imagine. All that takes place that you see on Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights and the events that you're here, you probably, I don't even know that you can begin to imagine the heavy lifting and the planning and the, the prayer and the effort that goes into pulling those things off. They do a tremendous job. But not just our pastor and our admin staff, we have great lay leaders here at Mount Pleasant who serve on various ministry teams and leadership groups and in different capacities uh, all throughout the week who put so much time and effort into this church and her ministries. And these are the people that lift up my arms, that are there to, to pray for and to encourage and to cover my weaknesses and my shortcomings. Uh, you know, they, they've got great gifts in those, and I'm so thankful that God uh, has brought them. And my request of you this morning is to help me lift up and hold up the arms of those who serve and lead here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Leadership is not easy. You show me someone who says that leadership is easy and I'll show you someone who is not leading anything or who has never led anything because leadership is not easy. And here are a couple of ways that you can hold up the arms of our leaders and those who serve at Mount Pleasant. First of all, pray for them regularly. Make it a regular part of your prayer routine to pray for those who lead and serve our church. And I'm not talking about just your pastoral staff. I'm talking about your, your lay leaders who serve in many different ways. I'm talking about your Sunday school teacher. Pray for your Sunday school teacher and their spouse and their family. For your kids' Sunday school teachers and your teenagers' Sunday school teacher. Those people need and they covet and are so thankful for the prayers, for your prayers. It's one of the greatest gifts that you can give to them. Secondly, I would just, just ask, offer words of encouragement and affirmation. You know, so often church leaders hear complaints and criticism and every manner of frustration. Make it a point to genuinely and, sincere, and sincerely thank them for being willing to lead and serve the church. Now, you may not agree with them on every issue or on every decision that's made. That's not fine. I'm not saying that. But you can still say, hey, thank, listen, I know it's not always easy, but I appreciate you be, being willing to step in and serve and lead us in that way and in that capacity. When I was a pastor in Kentucky, I'll never forget talking to a couple of guys in our church. And they shared with me on different occasions that they had been offered promotions in the plants and the factories that they worked in. And they said that they hadn't taken them. And I said, well, why in the world not? Because I knew these men and they were great leaders, very wise in their, their leadership, good, good people skills, good communication skills. And I said, why did you not take those positions? And here's what they told me, totally separate, independent of one another. They said, we see on the floor of that plant the junk that our uh, leaders deal with in that plant, how people talk about them, how they treat them, how they're so two-faced about what they do, the decisions they make, they're criticized about everything. They said, I don't want to subject myself or my family to that. I don't want to have, you know, all that junk going on about me. So when they come and ask me to take a higher level, I just tell them, no, I'm not interested. And I thought that, that really broke my heart in a number of ways. One, for those men that they weren't in those opportunities to grow and to, to expand their leadership and their, their skills. They were good men. And I really feel like those plants probably suffered by not having those gifted, capable men in leadership because of the environment and the challenges that come with being a leader. So encourage and affirm your leaders. It means so much to them uh, to know that you're thinking about them, that you're praying for them, that you appreciate the heavy lifting and the difficult decisions that they sometimes have to make. Number three, I would ask this, stand up for your leaders. 
just said leadership isn't easy and it only gets more difficult when people are sniping and taking shots at you. And on the one hand, you know what? That comes with the territory. I mean, if you're going to lead and you're going to be a change agent and you're going to have to deal with tough issues, it's not always going to be, you know, roses and, and it, it's, it's going to be a difficult time. But you know what? On the other hand, the Bible clearly spells out that God's people are to act with, with respect and dignity and in a Christ-like manner at all times. Regardless of decisions or our thoughts or our opinions or whether or not we agree with certain things, you don't get a pass to be mean and rude and ugly or ungodly because things don't go your way or because you have a varying opinion of something. I mean, it's not a spiritual gift of meanness, all right, or of rudeness. It's not in the list. I've looked, all right. It's not a spiritual gift to do that. Uh, and I think one of the greatest unchecked sins in the church as a whole are the sins of gossip and of sowing seeds of discord and disharmony. And I think it happens all too often because godly people simply don't stand up for the truth of God's word because God's word ad addresses and deals with those things. And we don't stand up uh, for our leaders and the truth of God's word and handle things according to Matthew chapter 18. So I encourage you to stand up and say, you know what, leadership is tough. And, and you know, you got this issue. Let's go talk and find out what's going on, what's taking place here so that we can at least understand. Again, the decision may not change, but at least we'll know why and what's gone into it. Because I can tell you leaders don't sit around and go, hey, what are we going to do this week? Oh, let's make a decision that people won't like. That sounds like fun. I mean, that never happens, all right? There's always a thought process and a reasoning for what goes on. And, and maybe that's wrong. And if so, it's like, okay, well, let's change that then. We're thinking wrong, but we need to know those things, all right? But handle yourself in a godly manner regardless of what those opinions may be. Finally, you can lift up and hold up the arms of your church leaders by stepping up to serve. And you want to talk about being a blessing to somebody. Don't sit on the side, side and be an armchair quarterback or some talking head pundit, you know, always, you know, critiquing and evaluating what's going on. Get in the game. Get out there in the trenches. Do some of the heavy lifting. And you'll see, oh, well, maybe I didn't fully understand all that, that was going on here. And as you do that, God will bless you for serving and being a part of the ministry and the work that's taking place. God will bless them because you'll be there to help and, and to use your gifts and your talents. And the gospel will be advanced as a result. So you can bless them by serving and coming alongside them. Thank God for backup. You know, as we come to our time of invitation this morning, I just want to first, you know, say to you, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is our primary source of backup. He is our source of strength and power that we need for every situation, everything that we encounter in life. And if you've never given your heart and your life to him or, or taken the step of obedience that we saw these students do this morning in baptism, then our pastors will be here. We'd love to greet you and talk with you and pray with you about giving your life to Christ or taking that next step of obedience and maturity in him. But I invite you to evaluate your life as well as to whether or not you're allowing God to, to send others to provide the help and the support that you need in your life. Do you know your areas of weaknesses? Do you have guards and protections and areas set up to, to overcome and protect those areas of weakness in your life? Are you allowing others to come alongside and help you? Here's a big one. Do you receive godly input and godly counsel and a godly rebuke? If God sends a person like Jethro to speak some truth to you, are you able and willing and eager to receive that and then begin to, to put it into practice? You know, God will send those individuals to speak that. So are we willing and to receive the help that we need when we need it? 
But finally, I, I want to ask you this morning to ask God to give you, to give our church a greater burden for lifting up the arms of our church leaders. Pray for our leaders, encourage them, and most importantly, come alongside and help them accomplish the work that God has called them and you to accomplish for the sake of the gospel. Let's lift up and hold up one another's arms for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ.